This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined, as ever, by the superb Patrick Barclay. The reason that I have asked for Patrick to, to come back onto the show, he's, he's fed up with me phoning him now, is because this man we're going to speak about today is, is an icon of football management. But I feel personally that his his story is is not isn't told very often. And that man is, is Herbert Chapman. Patrick wrote an incredible book, The Life and Times of Herbert Chapman, the story of one of football's most influential figures. And, and it's a book that 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 really is is for me, I found was was incredibly insightful because a lot of people I've you've heard I've heard mentioned before that Herbert Chapman was ahead of his time, that he was a man who not only shaped Arsenal, but helped shape football in, in a wider sense. And it wasn't until I read your book, Patrick, that I got a sense of that. So the first question is, yeah. what inspired you to write the book? Um, well, uh, it, was, it, it wasn't my, I wish I could say it was my idea and that I had the, the same aims that you've outlined now uh, in, in, in bringing proper recognition to arguably the greatest of all managers, certainly the first of all managers as we would understand them in Herbert Chapman. But no, it was, it was just that my agent arranged a meeting with uh, a firm of publishers whose uh, head of sport, uh, a lad called Alan Sampson, who's an Arsenal fanatic. And um, Arsenal were going through a bit of a, what they considered a, a, a bad time under Arsene Wenger at, the, at one of the blips at that time. And he said, we need something to cheer us up. They got used to winning doubles. And um, anyway, uh, so let's, let's would someone write a, 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 a biography of Herbert Chapman? So I took it on and uh, I, I was delighted. And um, it was a book that got a lot of, uh, criticism um a lot of it justified in my opinion in fact i've just i've just had the author's nightmare callum I, I've, I've just read the book and i've seen a howling error in it it says among other things it says that herbert chapman was the only person to have won the english league with two different clubs apart from <clears throat> excuse me apart from um uh, Clough and Taylor with Forrest and Derby. Well, of course, this forgets Kenny Dalglish, um, Liverpool and Blackburn. So uh, this is always what a, an author dreads is, is seeing a howling, a really bad error in, in one of his books. And uh, it happens. It happens to much better authors than me. So <laughs> anyway, that's... That's what I've noticed in the book. But it, it, the main criticism it got was for taking too many side alleys, for writing about too much about the environment. I mean, the book is called 
I, I insisted it be called the life and times of Herbert Chapman because I knew I wouldn't get enough information to make a, a comprehensive and accurate life because Chapman wasn't a big mouth. You know, he did. He, you, you, you very rarely got a sense of what he actually felt from, from the material he left behind. Um, and so I thought, well, I've, I've two ways of doing this. I can either make it up uh, like David Peace did with that book about Shankly, that awful book about Shankly, Red and Dead or something. Um, anyway, um, I could either make it up like that or, uh, or I could fill in the world he, he experienced and leave the reader to imagine what it must have been like for him in the in the 1930s and uh, during which he died um, but in the early 1930s and and also in the earlier periods as he was growing up to paint a picture of the world around him um, and, and a, a lot of uh, the reviews I, I read on um, on Amazon were furious about this. They said we bought a book. Uh, we thought we'd. I thought I'd bought a book from my husband about that would tell us all about Herbert Chapman's views on tactics, and all it tells us about is Ed, Edward Elgar and Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I thought it was a fair criticism, to be quite honest. Um, but I, who cares? I enjoyed writing it that way, and um, and some people did think it was okay but uh, no it was uh, I, I, it contains as much information about the football as as we can rely on um, I'm confident about that uh, and I, I've simply refused to uh, as I say make it up or imagine things or uh, uh, you know make make errors of dramatization you know <laughs> I did make an error of fact but uh, I, I'm not going uh, don't, to, I don't believe in faction, you know, the, the combining of fact and fiction, certainly not uh, in terms of, um, definitely not in terms of people that are alive, as in the royal family, in the recent controversy, um, but definitely not in the terms of people who, like Herbert Chapman, are immortal um, and should be immortalized. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it in front of your audience. One of the things about Chapman that is fascinating, and I suppose you can you can draw parallels with modern day coaches, like maybe even a, a Jose Mourinho, his, yeah. his playing career wasn't particularly distinguished. I mean, I know later on in his career, he, he plays for the likes of Sheffield United, who obviously are an established club, but some of the clubs yeah. he was at, I mean, he was at Staleybridge Rovers, Rochdale, Grimsby Town, Swindon, and I don't mean that with any disrespect to those clubs, but when you yeah. consider those names compared to the names that the likes of a Pep Guardiola played for or a Zinedine Zidane, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a whole it's a whole other world. Yeah, much much more like Mourinho from that point of view. He's better, he was a better player than Mourinho uh, ever was, but um, but no, the, that that's a fair that's a fair point. Um, he he did have one season at Sheffield United when they were in fact playing alongside his his hero. He was a Sheffield United. He was a blade, and uh, he was playing alongside his hero as a play, uh, playing hero, uh, Ernest Needham, Nudger Needham. He was called. He was a, a, a sort of midfield player, played for England, 
I mean, he was a really good player, Needham. And uh, so Herbert Chapman was playing alongside him for one season. He had a, a season with Spurs, but I think just over a season with Spurs. But they were Southern League at the time. Southern League and Football League were not far off apart. But uh, but Spurs, they, it wasn't, you know, Spurs of the size that, that, that the club is now. So, no, it was a, it was a re reasonably modest career. And, and, and the comparison with Mourinho is good in the, in the sense that he made, you know, nobody would ever remember the career of Herbert Chapman, the player, but as a, as a, as a manager, you know, his career deserves to be remembered among the great, the, the Busby, the, you know, the greatest managers of all time, you know, in fact, you could make a good case for him being the greatest manager of all time, simply because he was carving from from solid rock, you know, and he and, and he made a an institution, the, the football manager that, that that existed today and will exist forever. What another thing that that fascinates me about his journey when he goes into management is the fact that he didn't start at the top because. Again, I know I know the, 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 the usual stories that managers can start their way up, but I mentioned two yeah. great names of football there in Guardiola and Zidane. They were fortunate yeah. in many senses to, to roughly start at the top, albeit with youth setups at, at Madrid and Barcelona, respectively. But it's again, Chapman started at Northampton Town and, mm. and he, he starts there in, 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 in 1907. So the landscape yeah. of football as we know it, completely different. To the way it is now and, and what you would imagine Northampton Town to even be to this day. Just yeah. just what was it like for him at Northampton and then Leeds City? Because you, you think about it, he has a spell of 12 years roughly before he gets to Huddersfield and things completely change. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he did have a a, a proper a proper apprenticeship in that sense. Yeah. Uh, a bit like Brian Clough starting at Hartlepool and answering the phone and doing the laundry and all the stuff that he was supposed to have done. And, um, yeah, it, it, Northampton was a comfortable start for him in the sense that he was, he had been a player there. He was a centre forward, um, small for a centre forward. He was a little stocky guy, um, but a little bit of pace and he did score goals. Um, he was respectable. So he was liked at Northampton. And uh, they were the first to see the the the, man, the leadership quality, probably because he'd played for them. They understood that he was a leader of men. And uh, so it, to that extent, he, he, he got a leg up in that somebody recognized his talent uh, for leadership. And uh, yeah, he, he, he did, did very well there. And, uh, you know, made his mark, which was, of course, why he ended up uh, going to Leeds City, but that was a bit of a, a two-edged sword um, because although that club had had potential, um, they kind of uh, messed it up by uh, illegal payments uh, to players, and they were they were unlucky there because everybody made illegal payments to players at that time. Uh, it's a bit like tapping up now, you know. There's no other way of doing it, for goodness sake, but it's an offence against the law. So um, <clears throat> they were 
found guilty of uh, making illegal payments. Uh, there were various punishments handed out to various officials. And uh, Ann Chapman was one of those um, who got a, a ban from football for being associated with it. When, when you mention that ban, again, it's it, it's it's incredible that he was he was able to come back from that and and really take his career as a manager onto a whole new level yeah. because you know what it's like when you're banned as he was and he returns yeah. to work as he had to because of of the finances of the time it would have been quite easy for him to to think to himself I'm finished with football now I'm going to continue my working life and maybe even just enjoy the game from afar rather than than get myself back involved in, yes. in, in, well, in the he, oven. He was, a, <clears throat> he was able to work outside football. During the First World War, he managed a munitions factory. Managed. And, and these munitions factories were massive places um, in the Leeds area. Um, and he managed it very well. Um, so, you know, he was a man of, of great, great organization, administrative ability. Um, and, and yes, he, 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 he was able to work out outside. In fact, he, he did work as a manager um, of a factory um, in peacetime as well. But when the Huddersfield job was offered to him, <clears throat> and again, Huddersfield were a club of potential rather than reality, nearly gone out of business. Um, they, they, the, the, the FA um, quickly lifted his ban, realizing, come on, you know, um, let's, let's, let's not, let's, let's recognize that he probably wasn't the key instigator of the illegal payments and, and that, you know, it, it's something that nobody should have a lifetime ban um, for something that a lot of people were up to. When he goes into the Huddersfield, he initially goes in as assistant. It doesn't. He, he isn't assistant for very long, but he no. goes in there initially as assistant before then taking on the, the job himself. And you mm. consider his first full year as, as manager and, and how he tries to shape the club. It was incredible mm. because... He manages to get silverware, the first piece of silverware in the club's history, which again is, is incredible. And, and 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 the other thing that's incredible about that is, I know you'll come to. I mean, he, he wins the FA Cup, which is an incredible honour. In the league, it's it's still you could say typical Huddersfield at that time. It's 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 a bit of a struggle, but that yeah. changes as well. Yes, exactly. Well, the the FA Cup win was a breakthrough. I mean. The FA Cup, bear in mind, uh, was probably the number one honour at that time. Within the game, the league meant more for the same reasons as it's become recognised more, because you have to sustain your excellence for eight, nine months, <clears throat> as opposed to maybe six matches in the FA Cup. So, but the FA Cup was 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 glamour. Was was if you'd ask most fans. In those days, which would you rather win? We'd rather be champions or FA Cup winners. You know, it'd be a no-brainer. They'd want the, the day out at Wembley, the, the, all the glamour that went with the FA Cup. Um, 
So winning the the cup was 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 more than a breakthrough. It was it was it was history. I mean, the people talk about cups now as um, as, as as a way of establishing yourself before you get onto the main course of, of the league. But you know, it wasn't wasn't so much that in in those days. But uh, it was a brilliant team, that Huddersfield team, and in fact, and a lot of credit must go to to those who assembled the young the young players before he came but as at arsenal which we'll come on to he also revolutionized the way they played i mean he in that uh, in the cup final he played uh, it not been really noticed but he he played a third center back in those days it was two three five i mean the in, in the old football as you probably know if you've seen old programs uh it, the teams are listed two three five it's, it's not true. I mean, I don't know why they were listed two, three, five for so long, because it was three, two, five, or three, three, four, you know, whatever. But it was, they played, the teams played all the way through my, my youth. And I started, uh, became a football fan at Dundee in the mid 1950s. And for years and years, decades after that, teams were listed two, three, five, long after they'd ceased to play, but it was never the case. Anyway, uh, Chapman had used um, a third centre back in the um, in the cup final, so he was toying with that idea already. And this 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 was pretty. I, I wouldn't say it was unique to Chapman, but it was Chapman who really made the most of uh, of the mo of the more. I, I, you might say the more defensive style of football. I would say the more balanced. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, he, he changed football and football all through, for example, uh, in 1961-2. And I bet you were wondering how long is it going to take him before he mentions the Dundee team of the early 1960s? Well, it's probably 12 minutes, one second. And the Dundee team, when, when, when they won it, I was a 14-year-old boy. And when, when we won the title, we played with three centre-backs. Um, sorry, we played with three defenders, which was the two fullbacks and the centre half, Ian York. And they played in a line, so it was three, three, two, five. But the, but all of that came from Chapman, and he he started it at, at Huddersfield. But it was a really great team, <clears throat> um, and uh, you know, for that team to win three titles, although he, 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 Chapman won three two hat-tricks of titles, but the first hat-trick was interrupted by his departure from Huddersfield for Arsenal. And his second hat-trick was interrupted by his own death because he didn't live to see the last two titles But they at Arsenal, but they, they were definitely credited to him as the hat-trick was at Huddersfield because he, he built momentum. You know, so, so often now you find managers leave halfway through a a, a job and 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 the club collapses, you know. Um, Chapman built the last, you know. Chapman's teams had momentum, you know. Even when you got you got off the bike, the wheels kept going around. It was it was quite remarkable, and um, you know the uh, uh, and really the mark of of his of the quality of his work. He wins the FA Cup, as you've mentioned. He goes on to then win the league title. 
he wins back to back league titles, which is is, is tough doing in, in in any era, and he's able to achieve that with Huddersfield. You mentioned the hat trick because, yeah. of course, he's he's on course to win that last title, but Arsenal come calling. Yeah. With yeah. Arsenal, what were what were Arsenal like at the time that he joined them? Because he he leaves Huddersfield for Arsenal in nineteen twenty five. What were Arsenal like in that era, Paddy? Were they Ars- were they like the Arsenal we knew under the no. likes of George Graham and Wenger, or was it a different time? No, no, no. They the Arsenal. It was. Uh, bear in mind that um, the Southern team had never won a trophy. I mean, I think the southernmost team that had ever won a trophy in England was Aston Villa, something like that. Um, who had a, had a great team in the in the nineteenth century, and uh, but Arsenal, he saw potential. He'd been to a, to a match there, obviously, <clears throat> and he saw that with the tube system, the underground system, with the club being based in a residential area, the size of London. He actually, the way he put it was, I could build a Newcastle of the South. That's what he said, he told somebody. And that, that was what you measured football teams against in those days, Newcastle, because of the passion and the fans. He says, I can do that. I could do that there. Uh, whereas Huddersfield, <clears throat> he had, explored the outer limits of the potential um, and uh, so when he got the opportunity when the chairman at the time a man called Sir Henry Norris uh, an MP a wily man uh, but very ambitious man a man whose ambitions matched Chapman when he offered him the job it, it was no question that he was he was going to take it uh, and move from South Yorkshire the mining community where he, uh, Kiverton Park, where he was brought up. Interesting, isn't it? You know, how mining and football success, you know, if you, you look at Shankly, you look at uh, Busby, you look at uh, Bob Paisley, you know, the correlation between mining and, and Chapman <coughs> would, came from a mining uh, family. So uh, in Kiverton Park, South Yorkshire on the sort of Nottinghamshire border. Um, uh, between Sheffield and Worksop. And uh, so he, he left for the uh, leafy suburbia of North London. In terms of North London and Arsenal, it's, it's an incredible story because he goes in there and immediately gets Arsenal going to the, in the sense that they finish second, albeit his, his former club in Huddersfield, what was his initial impact like? <clears throat> oh well, it was uh, it, it was massive because he he just had had that sort of Midas touch. He he uh, also bear in mind that his his methods were he wasn't a tracksuit manager. I suppose the first of the tracksuit managers, the the uh, you know the the Jock Steens, um, was the first of those would have been Matt Busby, but um he was much more hands-on with the players than most i mean his uh his uh, equivalent in, in in scotland bill struth of, of rangers um you know was was often you know not seen uh, at the training ground and, and but chapman was much more hands-on 
So his effect, his galvanic effect on on the players was uh, was radical, and um, and and the the great thing that he was able to foster. And I think the thing that gave him the edge over all his rivals was not tactical genius, but uh, teamwork. He understood how to instill teamwork. He understood, he got teams to understand that defense and attack were things you harnessed to the same goal. Um, all of the things that we now consider axiomatic in the organization of a football team, uh, he was in at the beginnings of recognizing. So to that degree, he was a, a tactical genius, um, in, in, in a methodical genius, you might say, in, in, in a methodological genius, as Jose Mourinho would certainly say. Um, so he, 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 he just instilled I mean, 50 years before anybody, almost 50 years, 25 years before just about anybody else, the kind of methods that we now consider basic in the organization of a professional football team. You know, uh, it's got the sort of things that Pep Guardiola, you know, who you mentioned earlier, would, you know, would have right at the beginning of his textbook. Uh, all of those things, Chapman, broke ground on um, and teamwork was was in my opinion number one among them i mean teamwork is still uh, hard work and teamwork are what brings success in football at the elite level and it, he he was saying that i don't know uh, nearly 100 years ago and doing it so that's 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 the mark of that's 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 the the quality of Herbert Chapman, and he brought it to Arsenal straight away. And he, you, you say, was it the Arsenal of? It was a big, bigish club, you know, um, and had already had the friend in those days, friend, friendly rivalry with uh, with Tottenham. Uh, maybe not so friendly, but uh, it uh, there was already that. But in 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 bringing trophies there. Uh, this was the first time it happened in, in, in uh, to, to certainly in, in, in London. One of the things that, that interested me about Chapman was his attention to detail, shall we say, when it came to, to transfer negotiations. He, he liked to, 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 to source a good deal if he possibly could. There's the famous <laughs> yeah. story when he signs David Jack and, oh, and the... Yeah. And how he how he goes about signing him with the the meeting of representatives of Bolton, I mean, yeah. good good uh, maneuvers well, in the transfer market have always been key, haven't they? Yeah, certainly was uh, was a smart cookie, and um, when he wanted to sign David Jack, David Jack had scored, was a goal scorer, a top player, and uh, was playing for Bolton. In fact, he'd scored. Uh, in the first Wembley, scored twice in the first Wembley FA Cup final, 1923, scored both goals against West Ham. So that was that was the quality of player that uh, that, that that Chapman was was wanting to bring. But you know, as with all negotiations, Bolton wanted more money than Arsenal wanted to pay, 
So they invited, the Arsenal invited the Bolton delegation down to London. They got off the train and had a meeting over drinks in uh, the Euston Hotel, right next to Euston Station. But Chapman had got there early and he said to the, the, the bar, the head barman, he said, we'll be, we'll be drinking uh, whiskey and soda, whatever it was, and they'll be drinking gin and tonic. But when you bring my drink, it'll just be tonic. Uh, or, or whatever, it'll just be the mixer, and theirs will be doubles. So uh, the the head barman orders this to be carried out to the letter. The chapman remains stone cold sober, and the Bolton lads, uh, you know, think it's the birthday and Christmases come at once, <laughs> and uh, of course they're much easier to deal with. <laughs> and Chapman gets the I can't remember what the fee was. It's found in the book somewhere but um yeah oh, yeah they'd wanted bolton had wanted thirteen thousand, which was almost double the world record at the time so uh, anyway the the, uh, the whiskey did its trick and uh, they got him for ten thousand eight hundred and ninety pounds <laughs> and uh chapman was delighted with that obviously he'd saved the club two thousand and uh he, when he, he'd taken the young secretary uh, back uh, along with him and in the taxi back to Highbury, he says, there you are, that's your first lesson in football. Now you know how to conduct a transfer. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it, 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 I mean, the, the, the young lad was, was uh, Wall, who later had a, you know, quite a good career. And, uh, but his first lesson, uh, in the wilds of football were uh, at the age of 18. So he, he can't have had uh, spirits in his, in, his, uh, in his drink. One of the transfers that, that ultimately in the end didn't come off, but it would have changed the, the history of, of Celtic Football Club as well as potentially Arsenal, was when, when he tried to sign Jimmy McGrory, who obviously is Celtic's all-time record goal scorer, but he yeah, could have signed... He could have he could have signed Jimmy, and that would have changed. You think of how that would have changed an element of football history. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, it would have changed Arsenal and uh, and Celtic history. Uh, while we're on <clears throat> the subject of the, the Scottish connection, uh, Arsenal, as I think every Rangers fan will will know, had a special relationship with Rangers uh, due to Rangers having helped Arsenal out at a time when they were suffering financial problems before um, uh, before Chapman's time. And Chapman very much fostered this relationship between Rangers and, and, and Arsenal uh, to the extent that, that an annual friendly was played between the two clubs. At one season it would be at Ibrox, the next season at, at Highbury. And in fact, in the last of the Highbury occasions, uh, the Rangers team included a bloke called Alex Ferguson, I don't know if you've if you ever heard any more of him, but uh, it was three 0 to Arsenal, and uh, and and this was these these annual friendlies were were I wouldn't say they were the precursor of European football, but they were rare in that they were cross border, semi competitive matches um, played across a footballing border, uh, and to that extent 
could have been said to sort of lay the ground for uh, uh, for European football, especially as the you, you'll have seen the famous photograph of uh, of them Rangers. Uh, of an Arsenal Rangers match played under the lights at Highbury. That was after Chapman's death, um, but uh, was very much in keeping with his relationship with Bill Struth up at Ibrox. Um, so yeah, there was there there were connections with with Scottish football, and uh, uh, he enjoyed a trip to Scotland very much. In fact, he was friendly. Struth was not just a um, you know a rival; he was a friend, and they played. When when the in, the game was in Scotland, Struth and Chapman would have a round of golf together as part of the part of the experience. When you talk about his <clears throat> achievements, something again that, that I always find interesting with moments of history is the parallels that you can draw. At Huddersfield, the FA Cup was the first major trophy for him, and that was the same at Arsenal. That was the first major trophy he gets over the line before he can then go on to win those league titles. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, it wasn't so much a stepping stone. Uh, of course, it's easier to win, but of course, from the fans' point of view, probably, you know, the, the cup exploits would be more memorable. Certainly, you notice um, from studying his record, even later, many years later, uh, when I wrote a book about Matt Busby, um, studying the crowds they were always bigger for the cup you know often quite substantially sometimes twice the size uh you know as as the league match between the the same clubs but yes it it you know he knew football professionals knew that it was easier to win a uh, easy it's not not easy to win anything but uh easier to win a cup than to sustain form over over such a long period in winning the league, but you know you mentioned that the hat tricks that were won by the clubs with teams built by Chapman. You know to put that in context, we're, we're now accustomed to um, teams retaining national titles, um, <laughs> more in Scotland maybe than anywhere else, but um, definitely. Um, even in England now, you know, Ferguson, Treble, you know, winning three in a row. And even with, you know, towards the end of his career, Ferguson did a, did a three in a row. This was, until Chapman came along, this was virtually unprecedented. Um, and, and, and so for him, for his teams to, to be so strong that they could retain titles almost with momentum, uh, was an extraordinary achievement at a time where you generally expected teams to um, to be completely different from season to season. Huddersfield weren't, Arsenal weren't, and, and that was sort of. If you try to look at the the impact of Jock Steen's nine in a row with Celtic. You know, it's it's sort of a little bit like that. He built something, the steam machine. You know, Chapman built something that was almost mechanical in its uh, efficiency. He builds great teams. They, they they are winning, they are dominating. And, and the league, as you say, which is unprecedented at the time. What a thing, and you summed this up earlier, with, with Huddersfield, he obviously leaves to join Arsenal, so it's interrupted, but... 
his his success at Arsenal is interrupted, obviously, in 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 the most sad of circumstances when when it, when he passes away. I mean, his last yep. game was a goalless draw with Birmingham, and he left the club four points clear at the top of the league. Just mm-hmm. just sum up the the tragedy that 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 ended his managerial career. Well, it was. This is another aspect of of where he was ahead of the game. He took a great interest in in the youth team because you know he again you know being a hundred years ahead of his time, he believed that youth team should play as the first team should, so that you could reduce your own players. So he went to watch the youth team uh, at Guildford, about thirty miles outside London. It was in midwinter, and he got uh, what he thought was a cold, and uh, went to see the doctor. And the doctor said, "You know, you've got to go to bed." You know, and he didn't really want to because he he booked a, a scouting trip up north, and this was he was doubly keen to do one because. I think it was Sheffield, one of the Sheffield clubs they were playing, and he wanted to see them because they were due to play them um, on the Saturday week at, at Ivory. And so he wanted to see them, but he also wanted to look at a player at Berry, I think it was. And the advantage of going up to, you know, Lancashire, Yorkshire, was that he'd be able to stay overnight with his brother in Kiverton Park. And <clears throat> so he... He defied the doctor's orders, went on the trip up north. Well, of course, it was cold everywhere at the time, midwinter, and uh, his condition got worse. And so much so that by the time he got back to London, he, was in, he really did have to go to bed. And he was in, in a bad way uh, with um, pneumonia. Uh, so he's gone beyond a cold, and he was never to see the match uh, against Sheffield at, at Highbury. Amazingly, in fact, so much so that one of his players, I think it was Cliff Bastin, the goal-scoring outside left, gets up in the morning, Saturday morning, gets the tube to Highbury for the for the game, and as he comes out of the tube station, he sees a newspaper hoarding, Herbert Chapman dead. He's going to the match expecting, you know, to be coached by Herbert Chapman. And they get to the game, now it would be called off as a mark of respect, but it wasn't. Although there was still a mark of respect because the crowd were silent, more or less silent all through the whole game. I think it was a draw. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the game was played as if two teams of zombies, of course, you know, but it, the game, the show had to go on. And uh, and that was it. That was the end of Herbert Chapman and his, um, he was succeeded by George Allison, who had been, um, had, as, as I say, had been on the board uh, and uh, took over at a higher 
higher salary than he ever, ever received. Um, and, you know, basically rode the horse, which, you know, the, 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 the horse that, that uh, Chapman had started running, it just kept running, you know, regardless of his death. Um, but the funeral was uh, in keeping really with his status. The crowds were, as it went through the streets of North London to, I think it was Hendon Crematorium, um, the crowds were six, seven deep all the way. And uh, they played his favorite hymn, which is a hymn called Nearer My God to Thee. It was quite strange, but when I studied his life, it became my favorite hymn. I used to listen to it on YouTube. Um, it was, I think it was played at the, it's, it, it appears in the Titanic film. It was played on the Titanic. And uh, that was his favorite hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. And, and uh, the, the church, of course, was packed. <coughs> Um, it was estimated 600 were there. The players carried this coffin in. And after a, there was a period, they had the worst, there was fantastic, as I mentioned before, fantastically consistent, you know, steamroller of a team. But they had a bad spell uh, two, three weeks after that. Uh, and then, business as usual, won the title. And uh, uh, that, it was the, the, the ideal tribute, really, to Chapman was just to keep playing. They knew that they, knew, you know, they wouldn't need it to uh, be told what to do, because it was imprinted in their minds the Chapman legacy. I suppose very much in, in Scottish terms, you could relate it to the way that the Celtic players would have run through brick walls for Jockstein, and would have respond I was I can't remember was it human the late Hugh McIlvanny who said about Jockstein he just needed to raise an eyebrow and the players would creep off the bed and I, I think that there was the same unspoken discipline uh, kindly discipline uh, was was part of the Chapman method too when you look at his legacy from a club football perspective at Huddersfield he's obviously the greatest manager in yeah. the club's history, with what he achieved there with the FA Cup, the league titles at Arsenal, he, as we've talked about, managed to 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 make them a side that were consistent. They were winning trophies, and you mentioned um, before he went there that that Southern teams weren't entirely successful yeah. in comparison to their counterparts from the north. He was able yeah. to change that, but also, yeah. as you as you know, Patrick, he he didn't just change the the game in a sense, for Huddersfield and Arsenal. He advocated mm. many things that didn't just benefit his club, but benefited the whole game that sort of revolutionised the game. Yeah, yes, he, he completely revolutionised the game. I mean, as, as you rightly said, he, he revolutionised, uh, he created the balance between South and North, of, 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 of South and North and Midlands in English football. So in, in a sense, he... He, he was instrumental in helping to create the national game that we now consider, you know, um, natural. They had actually, I, mean, I mentioned no trophies. I mean, I, there had been success at, um, at Spurs. I think they'd, they'd won a cup, but the, certainly the league had never gone south of, uh, of Birmingham before, 
before Chapman's time. <clears throat> so he, he changed that, but he changed so much else. I, I mean, he put Arsenal on the map, literally, the tube map. He, the, the station um, closest, uh, well, one of the stations closest to the new stadium, and certainly the station closest to the old library, was uh, before he arrived, was called Gillespie Road. He successfully uh, got London Transport to agree to call it Arsenal. So it, it, was, it was literally putting the club on the map. And, uh, but so much else he tried to do, not, not everything successfully. Floodlights, as, as, as I mentioned, he was dead before floodlights were officially sanctioned. Uh, numbers on shirts, I'll never. I'll tell you a little story. I, I actually about um, when Arsene Wenger joined Arsenal. Uh, he was, you know, relatively unknown, and and I knew a friend of his, Gerard Ullier, the late, unfortunately, no longer with us, very sadly. And Gerard, with typical generosity, said, "Oh, if you want to speak to Arsene and find out what makes him tick." He's working for Nagoya Grampus 8 in, in uh, he was completing his contract with this Japanese club. And he said, there's his number. So Wenger rang this number and spoke to Wenger, asked him about his methods and this, that, and the other. And uh, I just, not, not to trap him, but just to find out, you know, how much he knew about Arsenal. I said, uh, you ever heard of a guy called Herbert Chapman? He says, oh, yes, Herbert Chapman. I'm not entering the accent. He says, Herbert Chapman, yeah, he was the guy who got the metro station renamed and put the numbers on the shirts. And I thought, who you'll do for me, Mr. Wenger? Uh, you know your history. And uh, he, of course, learned about Herbert Chapman from his friend David Dean, the vice chairman and, and really the the main man at Arsenal uh, who, who, who's, who, who managed to get in the Arsenal job. Uh, and he, he would have heard of Herbert Chapman through David Dean's grasp of Arsenal, Arsenal history. But yeah, they, <clears throat> they did the numbers. He had, had a, a friend, a Scot, David Calderhead, who was the manager of uh, Chelsea. And they numbered their players 1 to 22, I think it was 1 to 11. Yeah, and then the other team took different numbers. And they numbered the, the players for an Arsenal-Chelsea game, and they ran out. This, the, the idea was that fans would be able to identify them from the programme. And uh, <laughs> it was revolutionary at the time. And, and, and they ran out. But, of course, when the Football League got to hear about this, you know, they... You know, it wasn't their idea, so they banned it. Um, and then the FA, who, who, who had the ultimate authority, uh, licensed it for the FA Cup final a few years later. So he got the numbers on the shirts. He wanted to introduce floodlit football, but he was only allowed to, he got those famous floodlights along the rim of the Art Deco stands, uh, East and West stands at, uh, at Highbury by now which had been built under his uh under his uh vision uh the probably two most beautiful two of the most beautiful football stands ever ever built and uh in the art deco style that was you know in the vogue at the time and uh 
they're, they're, of course, they can never be touched. They're now part of a, a housing, um, housing estate, uh, upmarket housing estate in uh, only about five minutes walk from the Emirates Stadium. So, um, yeah, he, 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 got, he, he got the numbers on the shirts. He, the floodlights, but the FA, of course, and the league would only allow him to use them for training and for friendlies, including the Rangers one. And, uh, but then floodlights came in. Uh, they were officially sanctioned in the early 1950s. Unfortunately, he'd been dead for more than 15 years then. But, you know, ahead of his time in so many ways, he envisaged European football. And, and, and as I mentioned before, sort of pioneered it in a way with an annual match against Rangers. Um, and, you know, so much that was revolutionary, the, the, the balance between defense and attack uh, in terms of tactics and, and method, um, teamwork as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a sort of basic tenet of football, uh, he, he instilled that. And, and so many of his things, life moved more slowly in those days. So many of his things weren't really recognized until long after his death. Um, and uh, in a way that's slightly poignant thing for me about his genius was that although he was widely recognized as the, the greatest, the daddy, the grandfather of, of football management, even while he was alive, because of his achievements, the magnitude of his vision, uh, I, I think is only really um, recognizable now. Um, when you look at how many basic things about the game came from him. A fascinating insight into one of the, the, the great minds of, of football, the life and times of Herbert Chapman, the story of one of Football's most influential figures is available on Amazon and um, you can also get it in other places online as well. Patrick, as always, thank you so much for your time. I always feel like when you're on and I get to speak to you, I always have an education. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, that's very kind. I'll have, uh, I'll have that inscribed on my tombstone, Callum. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a